Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend, and welcome to uh, a pretty cool milestone. This is episode 50 of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. It's pretty exciting because uh, um, I, I didn't start this uh, even a year ago yet. Um, I started it, uh, I believe it was December 12th or something like that. It was the first release of a podcast. So we haven't hit one year yet, but we're hitting episode 50. And it's just a cool, exciting milestone. Uh, especially I was, I was looking at some stats before and apparently something like 12% of all podcasts just record one episode and then quit. Uh, so we have well past that. Um, and then I think it was another 6% don't get past two episodes and, um, 50% over, over half, I think it was stopped before 10, um, I think it was 10. Um, but regardless, 50, which is pretty exciting. Um, at the same time, we're not really going to do a special episode here. We're just going to keep on trucking because, um, first of all, we're here primarily to help you to increase your songwriting skills. And number two, um, as cool and momentous as 50 sort of feels, right? Like, um, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, if you're tuning in, but, you know, episode 50, certainly, um, for example, in a TV show, uh, we'd be somewhere in, in the middle of season three, I think. Um, and that's considered sort of a milestone for a show. Um, and for us as a podcast, we're there, which is cool. But, um, my goal is so much more than just recording 50 podcasts, um, I certainly hope to be in the 200s plus in a couple years. Uh, so at the same time, we're not doing anything special for this episode because um, as much as I appreciate, in hindsight, uh, the the uh, 50 episodes that we've been able to do, and as much as I love the growth that's happening, and I mentioned this, but we also hit the our first 1,000 download month last month, which is super exciting. Uh, there's, there's more to accomplish, right? There's more to do. So to all of you, I appreciate you all so much. I appreciate the, um, subscribes. I appreciate the, to those of you who have left a review on iTunes. I super appreciate that. If you haven't, please go leave a glowing review on iTunes. If you feel like you can't give this podcast five stars, just, just email me, joseph at songwritertheory.com. Joseph is spelled J-O-S-E-P-H. You'd be surprised how many people don't know that. Um, if you're one of them, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just is very surprising to me. Um, J-O-S-E-P-H, again, at songwritertheory.com. Shoot me an email. Tell me what I can do to improve, to help you better, to earn that five stars before you go leave a review. That would be super appreciated. Also, if you have left a review on some 
other location. I keep learning about like different places that this podcast happens to be. It's not like I get notified when a review is left. Uh, for the most part, it's just a bunch of podcast services kind of find podcasts and then bring them in. Um, so if you've left me a review elsewhere, I also appreciate that. I'm sorry that I have not seen it as I would probably give you a direct shout out if I saw and knew who you are. Um, but regardless, uh, it would really help even if you don't use iTunes to go leave a review on iTunes because that's by far the biggest podcast platform and that would help out a ton. So I would definitely appreciate that. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Um, last week, if you're tracking with us live, if you're following along and you're listening to this podcast as it's coming out on, uh, October 14th, it will be, um, then you know that last podcast was on call and answer, call and response, uh, one of the fundamentals of song structure. And the reason we went over that was to sort of set up this podcast, which is just on song structure and a more on a more macro level. Look into some of the pieces of songs we have, what they're there for, and then dive a little bit into different structures, um, combining those things like verses and choruses. So first, let's look at the main pieces. So the obvious one is the verse, right? That's usually where your song's going to start. There's often multiple verses, or really by definition, there's, there, there certainly should be multiple verses. Because um, if you only have one verse, it's really just, I don't know, an A section, and then a B section would be your chorus, and you just go A, B, A, B, A, B. It uh, doesn't really feel like a verse anymore. But um, your verses are really what's moving your song forward, right? Verses are... The, what you use to tell your story or to develop the perspective of your character or yourself. And the verses, too, like, they're a chance to get into details, right? Because for the chorus, you just kind of have to hit hard. Uh, usually you're going to use more sparse lyrics than you do for the verse because you're trying to go for something that really sticks in the head, that's really memorable. Um, you're, you're usually holding notes for longer in the course. This isn't necessarily true, obviously, but often you're holding notes for longer, which equates to fewer words. Um, so the verses is really your chances to get into details. It's, the verses are also just probably the most intimate part of your song in multiple senses. One, it's, it's probably the most transparent. Usually, like, uh, the chorus is kind of where everything comes together and you are communicating something that almost anyone could relate to, whereas the verses are often a chance to get really specific with your situation or the situation you're talking about, which feels very intimate and very transparent and like you're being very honest or intimate with the listener. Uh, intimate being used in a non-sketchy way in this case. So... Another part of the intimate is often, right, if you think of the song that's like the lowest energy, the most uh, sung by candlelight type feeling, that's usually going to be your verses, right? Because the choruses are bigger. The choruses have more instruments come in. The choruses usually have higher notes being sung. But the verses, 
are more, you know, the part of the song that you imagine singing in front of a campfire or with the candles out. It might be just you sitting at a piano singing a song about lost love. Are you sitting with your guitar talking about the good old days? Um, so that's really the job of verses, right? The verses primarily move your song forward. And then the second part, also obvious, is the chorus, right? So the chorus is almost definitely the most important part of your song. Now, I'm the first person to tell you that everything's important. Um, I'm the first person to tell you that don't get lazy about the second verse, which is by far the easiest thing to get lazy about or to just have a, a crappy one. Uh, it's really easy to have a crappy second verse or a thrown-together second verse, which I would argue is the same thing as a crappy uh, second verse. And you know what? If I'm being really honest, yes, the second verse is, you know, it's it, if you add everything up, it's probably the least important part of a song, right? Because the first verse is often the person's introduction to the song, so it needs to start with some element of interest for the listener. And then if the chorus is really good, um, then the second verse almost doesn't matter because to them it's just filler until you, they get to hear the chorus again. That being said, the second verse is very important. So show it love. Make sure every lyric is something that you can be proud of. But despite me being the first in line to tell you how every lyric is important and every part of your song is important, and you shouldn't be lazy about anything. The chorus is undoubtedly the most important part of your song. You know, 99 times out of 100, if there's a part of a song that somebody can sing along with, it's the chorus. If there's a part of a song that people actually remember, it's going to be the chorus. If there's a part of a song that is really the only reason somebody likes a song, it's going to be the chorus, right? Like, nobody just likes a song for the intro, Right? Even if you think you like Crazy Train, if you're anything like me, you hear the intro to Crazy Train, and you're like, wow, that's epic. And the second he starts singing, you're like, ooh, really? It's kind of all downhill from there. Um, which is probably why, I don't know about you, but the only time I hear Crazy Train is like somebody just scored a touchdown, and they just play the intro. And then they really start fading it out pretty quickly after... Um, after he starts singing. And I'm not hating on Crazy Train. I'm just making the point that, um, for the most part, the chorus is, is what a song's going to live and die for. For the longest time, even though I heard the intro a million times, I didn't even know what the rest of the sound, song sounded like for Crazy Train. Because the chorus is just, eh. So I didn't, and when I heard it, I was just disappointed. But the chorus is like the main conflict of the story. It needs to be great, and it, and it merits revisiting several times. So uh, a criticism I hear by, well, there's really no other way to put it, ignorant people, or sometimes people who are extra snooty about, ooh, classical is so superior, um, 
is that people often are like, oh, repetition, like, it's so lame, like, you shouldn't have any repetition. But, like, repetition is what gives something identity, right? Like, repetition is what gives something importance, makes it noteworthy. If, if the main villain and, and the main uh, hero only have conflict once at the end of the movie, it's just like, well, what made that special? And I'm sure that there are ways to, you know, make it that the, the, the hype to that hap just builds so much that it's fine. But often, more often, what you're going to have is the conflict keeps coming back and keeps getting amped up. And it gets better every time. Like, let's take The Dark Knight, the class of the superhero movie. World's better than any other superhero movie. Um, so the Joker and Batman face off multiple times. Not just the end. They face off in Bruce Wayne's penthouse. In the street. In the interrogation room. All before their final showdown. And each time, it brings their conflict to a new level. So they keep revisiting that conflict, right? Because it's so good. It's the best part of the movie. That every second the Joker is on the screen, he steals the show. It's incredible. So they keep going back to scenes with him and Batman. Because that's the best part of the movie. And it amps up the conflict. And your chorus is the same concept. It's so good it needs revisiting. And the revisiting is what gives it significance. Repetition is used everywhere. Everywhere. From stories. If you think about parallelism, right? Which parallelism is used everywhere. is really just repetition, right? Parallelism is basically repetition that's used to make a point about something, right? Like... Take Star Wars. Uh, there is the parallel of the orphan child in on a, that was comes from a desert planet, right? And that parallel is used intentionally. And what is that? It's repeating that concept of a child who is an orphan in a desert planet becoming a somebody, a very important somebody. It repeats that to make a point about it, right? Like this is important. And that's really what parallelism is. And that's used everywhere in stories and poems and everything. So the idea that repetition is bad or, or somehow because you don't have anything original to say or new to say is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Have you ever tried listening to a song that has no repetition whatsoever? It has a verse and then a totally different section and then another totally different section and another totally different section? It doesn't work. Because you have nothing to attach to. It's just confusing. It's, it's, it's random, right? It's like, it's like if a movie, the first part of a movie is like this action movie or whatever, and then that conflict that was introduced never happens again. Then it becomes a weird love story between the main character and some other character you didn't meet before. And then the third act is just something totally different oh, now it's sci-fi like you can't do that right like there needs to be some recurring themes there has to be something that gives the song or the movie or whatever it is identity 
And repetition is part of what does that. So don't be that person who looks down on repetition. Also, classical music also uses repetition. One of the most common song structures in classical is like ABA. A is repeated there. Or ABAB. Both A and B are repeated there. Repetition is used in everything. Don't fool yourself. It's everywhere. It's not a low form of art. It's intentional and it should be done for a reason. So... I will get off my soapbox now and get back to the chorus. So the chorus is often where your main theme is going to live, right? Like if there's any message you want to leave with people, if there's any, if there's anything you want people to take away or remember from your song, it's got to be in the chorus, right? Because that's it's repeated, partially to stick in people's brains, partially to make a point, to show how important it is, partially to give the song identity. But that's got to be where that main theme lies, where that main concept lies. Now, there are some exceptions to this, which we're sort of going to get into in a little bit. But for the most part, your chorus is the highlight. And it should be. So the bridge. The bridge basically functions as a chance to change it up a little bit, right? So you have the verse, which your verses will change lyrics, and the arrangement will probably change in between verses as well. But for the most part, it's you know it's going to be the same melody, just different lyrics. So there's some element of repetition with verses, even if it's not lyrical repetition. And then the choruses are usually word-for-word repetitions. Some songs definitely change up the chorus lyrics, and that can be an awesome, really cool, effective tool. Um, but that's not super common. So the bridge is a chance to change it up. Sometimes you'll go to your relative minor key. Sometimes you'll just use some chords you didn't use before. Sometimes it will still use the same... Uh, chords as the chorus, uh, but totally change up the melody. There's a million ways to do bridges, but it's basically an opportunity to give a new perspective or take on the song. It's a, it's an opportunity too to take the song in a different musical direction, to give some significant change up, so that you don't just get bored of the flow of verse, chorus, verse, chorus. So. What are some of the common patterns? Because here's what we're really talking about today, right? Um, at some point, I'll probably do deep dive into each part of a song. But really, today we're talking about song structures overall. So the most common pattern, right, is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, right? And the different variations of that. So why is this? A part of this is... You're setting the stage with the verse, right? The verse is what's introducing the story of the song. But it also quickly gets to the highlight, the chorus, because verse chorus. You don't and then you don't just give the best part to the listener once, you give it multiple times, usually at least three. Right? Verse chorus, verse chorus, bridge chorus. Sometimes it's verse chorus, verse chorus, bridge chorus, chorus. Um, sometimes it's three choruses at the end. 
But also, you're leaving the song on a high note, right? Because the chorus, in theory, is the best part of the song. And you end with that. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. So if Batman took out the Joker in the middle of the movie, what's even the point of the second act, right? Like, why are we here? Like, Two-Face is fine, or whatever, but, like, let's be honest. Everything gets less interesting once the Joker is done. Which is why he lasts all the way until basically the end of the movie. Is essentially, you know, one also climactic scene after that. And that's really about it. So that's why the chorus has to keep coming back. That's, you're going to end with the chorus. Because again, that's the highlight. Now another variation is you can start with a chorus. So why would you want to start with a chorus? Uh, one, one motivation is you simply want to hook the listener right away. Right? If the best part of your song is the chorus, why risk losing a listener by starting with a verse? If the, if the chorus is most likely to hook somebody and make them stick around for your song, why mess around? Why not just jump right in? So there's that aspect. Not my favorite aspect, personally, um, because I generally want to put the art before the commercialism. But it is worth noting that that is a very common reason and not necessarily invalid. It all matters what you, uh, what's important to you. And another reason could be that it sort of just changes the coloration of the verse. So it gives you the big picture context before the first verse. So that can make the story you're telling in the first verse make more sense, right? Because it has context. And now you already laid out the theme or the main idea. So now the verse makes sense. People aren't, people, you can just assume now because you already sang the chorus, like people, people know where this is going. They're not going to be as confused if I leave something a little more vague in the verse because I already set it up with the chorus. So you don't necessarily need to introduce the concept in the verse because it's already being done in the course. And in this case, you're starting with the course. Another common variation is to open with two verses. Or so verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Now with this, often, not always, but often, it's not so much a doubly long first verse as it is a half as long second verse. Now you may say, Joseph, that's the same thing. Uh, technically, yes. Uh, but the idea here is usually because the chorus is the highlight, uh, you don't want to wait too long to get to the chorus. The old rule of thumb is you should definitely get to the chorus before one minute because that's when you're going to lose people. Uh, the new rule of thumb, especially for pop music, is they try to get to the chorus before 30 seconds. Um, and obviously that's not true of all, but people's attention span in this world of streaming is, is very small. Um, so the reason I say that often it's a half as long second verse is usually, uh, if this, if it's verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, it's not that the first verse is super long and now you're not getting to the chorus until minute 20 seconds. It's usually that the first verse is a standard size, but then the second verse is super small. It's cut in half. 
So maybe the first verse has eight measures, which would be fairly common. Uh, but the second one only has four. Or or the first one has 16, which, depending on tempo, could that doesn't necessarily take much time. Uh, but the second one's only eight. Um, and then again, a possible reason for this is once you introduce the chorus, and the chorus is maybe by far the best part, or is the best part, um, once a person hears the chorus, they just, as soon as the chorus is over, it's like, ah, oh, I want the chorus to come back. It was so good. Uh, so don't make them wait so long with another long verse, just a short verse so that you can get right back into the chorus, get right back to the good part. It's kind of like, uh, we'll stick with a dark night, but, um, I watched it a truly judge worthy amount of time times, uh, in the first year and a half. Uh, it's by far the movie I've seen the most. Um, most movies, if I watch at all, I will watch them once. And then there's a couple that I've seen. There's a few that I've seen twice because I thought, oh, this merits another watch. And then there's um, movies I really like, like Inception and Gladiator, stuff like that. I've seen three, four, five times maybe. And then there's Star Wars movies, which I've probably seen about eight times each or so because I love Star Wars. And then there's The Dark Knight, which I saw... 13 times in the first year and a half after watching it the first time, which is incredible because it's it almost doubles how many times I've watched pretty much any other movie, and it was all within a year and a half. Now, part of that is every youth group event I went to seemed to play that movie, and so it wasn't like I chose to sit down and watch it that many times. I certainly chose to sit down and watch it at least eight of those times, um, but... A lot of it was like parties and, and friends' houses and youth group events and stuff like that, in my defense. Um, and now I've probably seen it about 14 times total. But the last time I watched it, basically what I did is I hit fast forward when the Joker wasn't on the screen because the Joker's the best part. And... This idea of a shortened second verse is sort of ad addressing that, right? Like, they don't want you skipping through, you know, skipping 30 seconds because you just got to get back to the chorus. You got to get back to the best part. Uh, they're giving you a short verse so that they can get right back into the chorus, get right back into the, the good part. Um, another variation is to end with a couple of uh, choruses and to not have a bridge. So some something like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, chorus, um, or chorus, chorus, chorus. And who needs a bridge when you can have more chorus, right? So if you already have your best part and you know it's just killer, you can repeat as much as you want and people are going to be just as into it, why even bother with a bridge? And honestly, I think in some scenarios, it literally is just because songwriters get lazy and they can't figure out a bridge and they're like, eh, whatever, doesn't need a bridge, it's fine, we won't have one. So I honestly think that's a part of it sometimes. But sometimes the chorus will change lyrics for that final chorus. So it's a way to change it up 
in a different way. So with the bridge, right, it's usually going in a very different musical direction. If you have a final chorus that's, you know, the same melody and and the same instrumentation for the most part that you already know is killer, right, because your chorus is your best part. Uh, but now you're changing the lyric to add more interest. So instead of people just being able to blindly sing along, it's like a, a lyrical change-up. It's a chance to make one last point or to elevate the point to the, even the next level. And that can be a common reason to even live at, leave out a bridge or to still have a bridge but have multiple choruses at the end. And with all these variations, obviously you can mix and match, right? So you can have a bridge with five, you know, four choruses at the end if you want. You can have a half as long second verse and also have a bridge with multiple choruses at the end. So you can, you can mix and match with all of this. But the, this this and, and all these variations are really the standard patterns, right? Like if you took 90% of the songs you listen to, they basically follow this pattern. Now, we're not, for this podcast, getting into um, some of the more nitty-gritties like um, intro and outro and those little four-measure bars that sometimes are the space in between the chorus and the next verse. We're not getting into those for today. Um, so we're ignoring, you know, intro and outro and stuff like that. But taking those out, right, this covers the vast majority of songs you listen to. But there are more parts for us to get into that I think are really important. Um... What I like to think about, and I recommend going back and listening to this podcast. I think it was really early on, so I was probably a lot, not that I'm great at podcasting now, but I'm definitely better now than I was uh, for episode one and for episode five of this podcast. Um, but the I, I talked about the, the um, principle or the Christopher Nolan principle of creativity which might sound like a weird thing for a songwriting podcast. Um, but I really don't think it is because my policy on songwriting and art in general is that the ideal type of art is what Christopher Nolan does. It's not so pretentious that people who want to go see an enjoyable movie can't enjoy it. Right? Like, he's great at blockbusters that are just an enjoyable watch, right? Like, Inception is an enjoyable watch. The Dark Knight is an enjoyable watch. The Prestige is an enjoyable watch. Interstellar is a pretty enjoyable watch, right? But also, it is deeply artistic. So, both the pretentious movie critics... And the audience love his movies because they have genuine artistic value. They're well-made, well-crafted films. But they're also wildly entertaining. So it's not like Marvel movies, no offense, where it's fun, but it really has very little substance. 
right? Like it's just really an action flick that at the end of the day is honestly pretty forgettable. It's cool that they built a universe and all that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sorry if you're ticked that I'm saying this, but like it's not exactly high art form, the MCU. It's really not. Especially if you take the movies on an individual basis. It's really not. Um, but it's also not one of those pretentious films that like, you know, would be at a film festival that you're like bored half an hour in and people try to tell you it's brilliant. And you know what? Maybe it is brilliant, but it's also boring. Like, like you can't get to the brilliance because it's too busy being pretentious and, and just self-loving. Like you can tell that it knows it's genius and it is enjoying its own brilliance. Like nobody wants it. Just come on, get over yourself, right? Nolan films are a perfect blend of both. And that's what I want to strive for with my art personally. And I think a part of um, how to achieve that is you're not trying too hard to be different. You're just making quality, first of all. Uh, but second is you might break out of the mold of certain popular things, right? Like his superhero films were really just films that happened to have superheroes in them, more so than fitting the mold with how every other superhero film seems to be. Um, but it's all with subtle things. It's not It's not in your face like, this is so different from everything you've ever seen or heard. It's more subtle, right? Like, it's it's almost hard to put your finger on it. Like, most people are like, oh, I love Christopher Nolan. But they can't really put their finger on why they do or what it is about the films. Because it's all subtle. It was such an enjoyable film. And they somehow know it was deeper and better than most films uh, they watch. But they don't necessarily know why. And to me, some of these changes and getting into some of these other parts is um, sort of like that. So now that I gave you that long intro, and this podcast is quickly becoming one of our longest podcasts, I've been talking for half an hour apparently, um, let's get into it. So the pre-course. Lots of songs don't have pre-courses, and it's totally fine to not have pre-courses. I gotta be honest, I do not use a lot of pre-courses. Um, I, I will explain why after I give a little intro to pre-courses and what they're for. So basically a pre-chorus, right, is a primer for the chorus. It's sort of an in-between for your verse and chorus. It always lies in between your verse and your chorus, and so it bridges the gap from the verse to the chorus in some way. And usually it is either bringing, uh, bridging the gap lyrically, right? So giving further context before diving into the chorus because the, the verses didn't quite fill in the gap thematically with the chorus. You know, there might be more information you need to give. Or, or more often, and usually it's both, it will bridge the gap musically. So it prepares the listener for the upcoming chorus. Uh, often it brings up the energy from the verses to make the jump from the verse to the chorus less jarring, right? So often the chorus is the most energetic part, right? It has the most energy and the highest notes and, and the most instruments. And then the verses usually have the least. So sometimes that jump straight from the verse to the chorus can be pretty jarring, um, and a pre-chorus can be a way to sort of be an in-between, in-between energy to sort of make that less jarring. 
Sometimes, though, a pre-chorus is used to bring down the energy from the verses if the verses are high energy, or maybe you just want to lower the energy even more to make the jump to the chorus even more jarring, which would more be my style, which is getting into why I personally don't use them a ton. Um, I very much like the effect of the very intimate-sounding uh, verses and then boom, hitting you hard with a chorus and high notes and tons of instruments. I like that. Uh, that jump is what makes things epic. Usually, is that it's just huge. It just starts small to give context and then boom, huge. And then you realize how huge it is because of how small what came before it was because everything is context. Um, which is another previous podcast you should go check out if you have not heard it already. So often the pre-chorus functions as both a bridge from the verse to the chorus, lyrically and musically. And even if it doesn't, uh, it definitely functions as a different musical section to keep the song interesting. Uh, so if you think about it, what seems more interesting, right? Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, or verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, chorus, Right. The repetition of the chorus is the same, but the returns to the chorus are going to feel a little less constant um, because there's two parts in between each chorus instead of just one. Then we have the post-chorus. The post-chorus has really been popularized with recent pop music. So there's Charlie Puth's Attention, Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling, Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, and countless, countless others. Um, so really what a post-chorus is, is it's often used to give the listener yet another hook. So if you take both Can't Stop the Feeling and Shape of You, they both repeat the lyrics of the song title in the chorus. So the Can't Stop that this the Feeling has a chorus that's pretty catchy and likable, and you're like, oh, wow, okay. And then he goes up to his falsetto voice and just repeats Can't Stop the Feeling, um, and I believe the music stays the exact same in the post-chorus as, as the chorus in that case. Um, Shape of View is very similar. He keeps, there's some oa, oa, oa thing, and then I'm in love with the Shape of You, and then that keeps repeating, and that's the post-chorus. Um, so, so, the, so the post-chorus often maintains that energy that was found in the chorus, right? That's why it's a post-chorus and not like a pre-verse, Right, because it's it's more attached to the chorus that came before it than it's attached to the verse that is probably going to happen after it. Also, a post-chorus in theory is going to happen after the last chorus where there is no verse coming. So that's another part of it. Um, but that post-chorus is really connected to the chorus, and it's often a way to keep that energy going. And that the post-chorus isn't usually used to transition into anything. It is sometimes used as a way to transition back into the verse, but it's it's usually sort of a way to keep the chorus party going, right? Like the chorus was so exciting and you're not ready to go kind of back into a verse yet, so you keep the party going with a, with a post-chorus. And sometimes, though, a post-chorus can, can be used to go to the unexpected next level for the chorus. Like you thought you got the highlight with the chorus, but then there's this post-chorus that's even more catchy and hooky or you like even more than you liked the chorus. So it's like a pleasant surprise, right? Like you're expecting like, okay, chorus, that was the best part. Now we're going back to a verse, but no, 
there's more. So really, in summary, I would call the post-chorus, like, it could be characterized as, but wait, there's more. Like, but not a disappointing, but wait, there's more for a stupid infomercial. Like an actual, like, oh my goodness, there's more. Um, and it should be noted, too, that while it's popularized in pop music, and I just gave three pop music examples, um, they're certainly, post-choruses are certainly not only for pop music. I chose those examples as they're well-known songs that use a post-chorus, um, and I personally can't think of... Uh, some songs that aren't pop music that fit that, which is rare for me because I, if you've listened before, pop music is not exactly my favorite. I'm more of a singer songwriter. Uh, I like some harder rock stuff as well. Uh, I'm more in that realm than I am the pop realm. Uh, but I couldn't think of any Goo Goo Dolls songs or Vertical Horizon songs or Poets of the Fall songs or Breaking Benjamin songs that, uh, off the top of my head, that had a, a, a true post chorus. So, that's why you get those examples. Finally, we have this final part, which is a name I made up, admittedly. Because often, if you look at uh, lyrics or whatever, these, for the few songs that I know of that have this, um, it's often labeled as a chorus too. But I fundamentally disagree with that label. So to me, when I hear chorus two, I think like verse two. So like, it's like a chorus again, but they changed the lyrics this time. So it has the same music and melody, but different lyrics, right? Chorus two, um, which is why I hate the term. Cause that's not what this is. It is not like a verse two is to a verse one. Chorus two is not to a chorus one. So it's a terrible name. So I call it a finale. So what is a finale? Basically, the best example I can give you of a song that you know, I'm sure, that uses it is Don't Stop Believin'. That's right. Don't Stop Believin'. You don't get that iconic Don't Stop Believin' line until the end of the song, and then it repeats a few times, and then the song's done. That's not the chorus. That don't stop believing part that you know the best, and maybe you know the whole song. Like, I, I know the whole song. But that part that is most iconic, that part that is most well-known, the part that you're definitely going to sing along for, isn't the chorus. The chorus is the part all about up and down the boulevard that half the people at your dance party don't know the lyrics to. That's the chorus. And it's not a bad chorus. It's just not the highlight of the song. The whole song builds to the don't stop believing. Even the bridge that comes right before that finale of don't stop believing, the guitar solo does the melody of that finale to really prep you for it. So the whole song leads to that one moment of don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling, right? And it's awesome the way it does that. So, so what is a finale? Basically, I consider it when, when like the best part of the song, the highlight of the song, the main theme of the song even comes out at the end and it's not a chorus. Um, it's, it's usually, it's only done once and it's at the end. Now it can repeat at the end, but it doesn't play at all until the end. 
right? Like Don't Stop Believing doesn't come up at all until it's the end of the song. And that just repeats, 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 end. So I use this a lot. Um, more and more recently, seemingly. I believe uh, two, two out of the five songs on the EP I'm working on. And then also, uh, well, it's also sort of the Christmas song I'm currently, uh, recording that I wrote like eight years ago now, uh, have finales because I love them. And there's several reasons for this. One reason is I like the challenge, um, to write a chorus that's killer and feels like, yep, this would be an, uh, like if this is the best part of the song, I wouldn't be disappointed. Like it's an awesome chorus. And then to still one up that against all odds that you took an awesome chorus and somehow made something even better. I like that songwriting challenge. That is a part of it. Also, it gives you two absolutely killer parts. Normally you're just going to have the chorus. That's absolutely killer. And you might have good verses, right? But usually people aren't going to call it killer, right? Like the verses are still verses, even if they're really good, even if they're lyrically great, they're verses. And a bridge is, is sometimes pretty cool too. But in that case, right now you have three killer parts if the bridge is killer. And if the bridge isn't, you still have two because you have this finale. Another reason I like it is it gives the listener the best part at the end and only the end, and it leaves the listener wanting more, right? So if you if the chorus is the best part, and by the time the song's over, you've repeated the chorus three or four times, the listener might feel satisfied, right? Like, I heard the chorus like four times, I heard it twice in a row at the end, yep, I'm good. But if you repeat a chorus, and then at the end you blow their minds with something even better. And then the song ends. Now people are like, Oh, you leave them wanting more. Now they're going to hit back. Like I got to hear that again. Cause they heard the best part only once. So have you ever watched a movie and you get that satisfied feeling at the end of what you thought was the climax of the movie? And then something even more cool and mind-blowing happened. So the best example I can think of this off the top of my head. Well, off the top of my head before when I was preparing for this podcast. For full disclosure. Uh, is the fight scene between Luke and Vader in The Empire Strikes Back. Right, You get that iconic start to the lightsaber fight with Luke and Vader igniting their sabers and like the fog in that room that Han was uh, you know, turned into frozen Han, if you will. And then you get like five minutes of a pretty cool climactic duel. And then Vader cuts off Luke's hand. And you think, okay, well, the cool fight's over because he just lost his lightsaber and his hand. So, yeah. And now Luke's sort of crawling away, more or less out of Vader's reach. And Vader's kind of delivering the... I don't want to say typical, but, you know, sort of the typical join me bad guy talk, right? Like, yeah, I've seen this before. So now you're like, okay, this scene is revving down, right? Like, it's not, the climax already happened. Luke lost. We got it. 
But then, then, Vader drops an absolute bomb and blows your mind if it's your first time seeing it and you somehow avoided spoilers to the, the which, or if you're old enough to have actually seen it live in theaters. Uh, I do envy people who get got to actually experience the greatest movie twist of all time without knowing beforehand. That's going to be awesome. Um, and then your mind is blown to pieces, right? That, oh my goodness, what? He's his father? Vader is Luke's father? Like, it's mind-blowing. And it's such a good twist that even though I've seen the movie like eight times, and even though I've known that twist since I was like four, it's still, you can feel the epic psychological blow that Luke got. And it's still, like, I just crack a smile. Like, it's just so good. It's so good. Like, the best part of that isn't the duel. But the, if the best part of it was the duel, it wouldn't be disappointing. It would still be a great movie with an awesome climactic duel that I would have been very happy with. But then they upped the ante even more with the I am, I am your father, which leaves your mind blown. And then as you're moving, as you're lo- lo- leaving, wow, that took a while. Uh, it's almost midnight on Sunday, so that's why. Um, but, you know, your mind is just blown, right, leaving the theater. That's the kind of thing, sort of like the end of Inception, right, with the spinning top. Like, the whole movie was fantastic. But now, after that that end, the mind-blowing end, you're like, oh, what are you and your friends going to talk about for the next five hours when you're sitting at a restaurant discussing the awesome movie you just watched? You're going to discuss, oh my gosh, how is Vader Luke's Luke's dad? Or... Or did the top fall? Yes or no, right? Like, that's what gets people talking. It, it's it's that final, like, getting the final word in and have that final word be the absolute best. And that's what a finale is. So I love finales. Also, finales, just like post-choruses can be and pre-choruses, is a way to change it up without trying too hard because when a finale happens right like I gave you the example of don't stop believing and that may have blown your mind because you may have just always taken for granted like oh I assume the chorus is don't stop believing or maybe never even noticed that the highlight of the song what you thought of as the chorus only happens at the end um right so it's not obvious how different it is like right now your mind might be broken that like, oh my goodness, that's an unconventional song structure. What Journey did in Don't Stop Believing. Maybe you're a Journey hater. I don't know. Um, so the finale isn't like, oh, this person's trying too hard, blah, blah, blah. Like, Don't Stop Believing. Journey. Played all the time. Uses what I call a finale. So it's subtle. It's not trying too hard to be different. Like, say, having four different sections that none of them repeat and they're all just totally different would be. That would be trying too hard and everybody would hate it, probably. Uh, If you take that as a challenge, go ahead. Prove me wrong. And then send me the song. Joseph at songwritertheory.com. I'd love to be proven wrong. But I'm pretty sure I'm not. Even classical music repeats. Um, But... So, finale 
or even post-chorus, which you may have never even thought of a post-chorus before, even though I know you've heard them, are all subtle differences. And they can make a huge difference. Huge difference. And can totally change the way you communicate things. Right? The main theme no longer has to be in the chorus when you use a finale. Or maybe it doesn't need to be in it because it's going to be in the post-chorus. You can use the post-chorus as a chance to one-up the chorus, just like the finale does, except with a post-chorus, it's getting repeated. Or you can just use it as a different catchy hook, because you say, I don't want just one catchy hook, I want two. So that's what a post-chorus is for. So hopefully with all these things, you sort of get inspired to change it up a little bit, but also comfortable with there's nothing wrong with the standard structures because everything uses that movies use it books use it everything repetition is an inherent part of music it's an inherent part of all communication really so i hope this was helpful to you if it was and you want more, go to songwritertheory.com. I have a bunch of blogs there. Uh, I have a blog that goes with every podcast. Or really, probably a more appropriate way to look at it is this podcast comes along with every blog that I write. Um, and for some of them, you know, the blogs will have pictures and stuff that will help you, that um, will really help you learn these concepts that I teach through the podcast. Uh, so I highly encourage you to go check it out. Uh, in some cases, I think the podcast might be more helpful. In some cases, I think the blogs are better or more helpful. Um, but really, probably the best way to learn from this stuff is listen to the podcast or read the blog and then do the other thing. So do both because then it will really get ingrained in your head from the, you guessed it, repetition. Um, also, I know I mention this at the end of every podcast, but sometimes when the music comes at the end of a podcast, I know people skip through because they're like, oh, yep, I've heard this before. Um, and sometimes it changes and people don't even know. So uh, if you haven't, go download my free guide, totally free, um, about music theory for songwriters. It is all the music theory that I think you need to know to just crush it at songwriting. Um, I've mentioned it before, but I'm super proud of this guide. It's absolutely killer. I am 100% confident that anybody that goes through this guide and reads it correctly, which I even give you a guide of how to read it and how to get the most out of it. If you follow that, you your songwriting will just skyrocket because I, I take the four core music theory things that you really need to know. Um, and that honestly is all you really need to know. Um, you know, I think other things are super helpful, which is how I've been able to make 50 podcasts, right? And I have hundreds more that are going to be coming because there's so many different things to dive into that are valuable. But as far as music theory goes and the things you really need to know, if you want one, a one-stop guide that will get you great results, uh, go check it out. Free guide. It's at songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide it has no dashes or anything it's just music theory guide all one word 
So be sure to check that out. And thank you again for being just awesome listeners, for getting us to a thousand downloads last month. And this month so far on track to blast past that number for sure. Uh, there's been steady growth every month and that's because of you guys. So if you've told a friend, thank you. If you haven't told a friend, go tell a friend. And even if you have told a friend, go tell another friend. Um, hopefully a friend that's actually interested and would be helped by this podcast. Don't tell your friend who doesn't care about music. Um, but let people know. Share, share this link with somebody. Post it in a Facebook group about songwriting. Do whatever. Help me grow this podcast so we can all uh, do this together. I need you guys. And, uh, you know, you guys are the reason I'm here. You guys are the reason that I'm uh, doing these podcasts. Uh, to teach you. Because I want the next generation of songwriter. And I want the last generations of songwriters, you know. Uh, I, I don't know, but I assume at least half the people listening to this are older than me. I'm only 27. Um, but I want to know that there's more and more great songwriters in this world. Um, cause we need more great songwriters. Just listen to what's on pop radio. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not, but yeah. So we need more great songwriters. And I hope that you guys can learn something from me that will help you step up your songwriting game. Hey friend, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I genuinely appreciate all of your support. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. If you have already told a friend, go tell another one. And if you want a simple guide to start writing a new song today, be sure to download my free guide, Simplify Songwriting, The Simple Guide to Start Writing a Song Today at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. If you're overwhelmed by songwriting or often get stuck in creative ruts, this guide will help you push through and get started writing your new song today.